is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, and it's subtitled Retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I also say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Well, how are we doing? We good? Anybody else's face sweating from singing into a mask? Woo! Gets hot under there. All right, if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do. Turn to Matthew 5, as we just had read. Thank you for reading out our scripture today. Matthew 5, 38 to 42. And so last week, we began going through these verses together in Matthew 5, 38 to 42. And, and I said that we would complete them this week because... There was just too much meat that we couldn't get through them in one sitting. And so we're returning to it this morning. And so to bring you up to speed, if you weren't here last week, or just as a quick review for those of you who were here last week, uh, we really basically covered verse 38. I, I don't know uh, what took so long, but we covered verse 38. When Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what Jesus is doing there is he's quoting an Old Testament law called the Lex Talionis, which is found in Exodus chapter 21. And Lex Talionis is a Greek word for the law of retaliation. The Lex Talionis is a law that was given by God to the Jews in order to help govern the Jewish judicial system, much like the Criminal Code of Canada helps govern our judicial system. And the point of the Lex Talionis was to provide guidance for judgments and for sentencing to ensure that the right kind and the right degree of sentencing was given according to the crime that was committed. The Lex Talionis held to the principle that the punishment that someone received should be of the same kind and degree of the crime that that person committed. That's what Jesus quotes here, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so literally, if you did something that knocked someone else's eye out, you would lose your eye. Same kind, same degree. This is how the Lex Talionis worked. And this was a law that was given by God. And so this was a law that was good, and this was a law that was right. And the purpose of the Lex Talionis was twofold. First, it was meant to ensure that justice was being served without there being any excessive demand for justice making sure that criminals were being sentenced, but they weren't being punished beyond what is reasonable and beyond what is just based on the crime committed. It was meant to, secondly, terminate a spirit of vengeance amongst God's people. God did not want a spirit of vengeance amongst his chosen people, the Jews, and so he brought in the Lex Talionis so that the Jews could be sure that justice would be served for crimes committed, and they didn't need to retaliate themselves. But as I said last week, what happened in Jesus' day is that this law, which was meant to restrain vengeance, which was meant to restrain retaliation, 
was being distorted by sinful human beings. And instead of restraining vengeance, it was actually being used as a justification for pursuing retaliation and personal vendettas. And the law was being exploited because of two main factors. The first factor, and the most significant one, is the natural tilt that is present in fallen, sinful human hearts that causes a desire for us to pursue retaliation. As part of the fall and the, the curse of sin, human, human hearts desire vengeance. Just think about, as I said last week, when, when someone comes against you and someone rips into you, right? your initial response is, I want to rip right back into them. I want to give back to them what they're giving to me. This is the reality of fallen human hearts. And I used a litmus test last week uh, to show that this is kind of the taint of the human heart by saying that when we read Matthew 5, 38 to 42, uh, we automatically default to thinking that this section is describing retaliation when in fact it is describing justice because fallen hearts go towards retaliation more readily than justice. And the second factor that was causing this law to be distorted in Jesus' time and to be exploited in the way that it shouldn't have been was the fact that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were teaching it wrong. You see, they had removed it almost entirely from the judicial court system where it was meant to be used, and they made it a standard that could be pursued in personal relationships. So that then Jews, if you wronged me, well, then I could go right back at you using the the uh, using the lex talionis or the justification of the law. And this was never meant to be used this way. It was always meant to be used in the court system. And so with the Jewish religious leaders teaching, well, what it was causing in Jewish culture was this kind of culture was like, you did this to me, and so now I can do the exact same thing to you. It was disguised as justice, but really it was retaliation. And this is contrary to the spirit of the Lex Talionis. This is contrary not only to the spirit of the Lex Talionis, but to the entire law of God. He did not want his people pursuing vengeance. And so what Jesus does is he steps into this issue and he contradicts the religious leaders of his day in order to return his people back to the spirit and the aim of God's law, which is trusting that justice which belongs ultimately to the Lord, will be done. Not seeking retaliation for yourself. And Jesus teaches his disciples, those who are now a part of his kingdom, which is you and I, if you're following Jesus, if you're trusting in him, if you have faith in him, you're now a part of the kingdom of God. And he says in his kingdom, things are going to be different. We're not going to be a kingdom that is marked by vengeance and retaliation. We're going to be a people that are marked by grace and humility and forbearance, not vengeance and not retaliation. And so he says to his disciples, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So while the, the world still operates under this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Christ's people no longer operate this way. Because we are constrained by the spirit that dwells within us, we no longer pursue personal vengeance. 
And I, I ended last week by saying, ultimately, what Jesus is concerned here, what Jesus is talking to here, is our hearts. He is concerned with the spirit in which you and I are living. And for you and I, if Christ is Lord, then the desire for retaliation should no longer drive us. He is asking us here to face ourselves. He's asking us to face our, our natural fallen desire for retaliation, our fallen desire for self-justification when we feel like someone's coming against us. And that, that, that desire that we have that when we're wrong and, and that fear that we have that we're going to lose our social status if someone comes against us and we don't fight back. He's saying that's not a part of my kingdom. You no longer need to be concerned with those things. Ultimately, he is calling us here once more to die to ourselves. Saying, die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And to demonstrate just how difficult this is to do, to demonstrate just how much we, we can't do it on our own, but desperately need the Spirit's work in our lives, he gives four illustrations of what this looks like. And as I said last week, this morning, we're going to get into the weeds of these illustrations. They are deeply practical these illustrations from Jesus, and I can tell you they're deeply difficult, and they will confront us this morning with just how much Christ is calling us to lay down our desires, to lay down our self in the scenario. And so my aim this morning is, is to allow the illustrations that Jesus gives here in Matthew 5, 38 to, to 42, to, to just bear weight upon us today, to let the, the Spirit of God and the Word of God do its job. And I have prayed that the Holy Spirit would work in our midst because I believe so deeply, especially in the season that we are in right now, we need to hear these words from Jesus, and we need to hear them with our whole heart and be willing to take them in and respond. And I pray that what Jesus says here will impact you. And I have to tell you, when I was preparing last week and this week for this, I was preparing and I was, oftentimes I work in bed, which is a weird detail, you don't need to know, but I, I like to work in bed and, and my wife was sitting next to me and, sorry I said that, and my wife is sitting next to me, you don't need to know that, just bypass it. And, and I was preparing for this and I was literally sitting there and I was like, I was just like, oh, squirming, right? Because it was just hitting me as I was reading these words from Jesus and I was confronted by these illustrations and they made me uncomfortable and I didn't like them and I was telling Kate about it. And, and the beautiful thing when that happens, when you read the word of God and you don't like it and it's making you uncomfortable, is that means the spirit of God is at work in your heart and he's working against your flesh and he's doing something. And that's what we all want, even though it feels kind of icky in the moment, right? So I hope that, this morning, the Holy Spirit will do the same thing to you. And so let's read these illustrations, and then we're going to unpack them one at a time together and see what kind of spirit are we to walk in as opposed to a spirit of retaliation. So starting in verse 39, Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow you, borrow from you. So the first illustration Jesus gives us is, if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
Now, as high as 90%, there's differing numbers, but as high as 90% of the human population is right-handed. And right now you're going, great, that's a useless piece of information, but I'm going somewhere with that. Okay, so 90% of the human population is, is right-handed. So if I, as a right-handed person, along with the vast majority of the population, were to stand in front of an individual and slap that individual on the face, the slap would land on their left cheek. And yet Jesus here is saying, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, and so it's significant that he includes that little bit of information. And so what does that detail imply for us? Well, because the vast majority of the population is right-handed, it implies that the person who is slapping you in this scenario is doing so with the back of their hand. And I guarantee that as I say that, your hearts feel it a little bit. Because there's this reality that a backhanded slap as insult and injury. It's one thing to endure a slap in the face, but it elicits this stronger response in us at the thought of someone slapping us with the back of their hand. There's this deeper level of insult, this deeper level of degradation in that kind of an action. In fact, in Jewish culture, a slap was a great insult, and even in the, the Mishnah, which is the, the written record of, of Jewish uh, traditions, there's actually a differentiation in there between a, 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 for, a forehanded and a backhanded slap. It actually says if you, if you slap someone with the front of your hand, you have to pay a, a payment of 200 silver coins as a fine. But if you slap someone with the back of your hand, you have to pay 400 silver coins. Because the action is so humiliating to the one who's being struck. And so in ancient cultures, a backhanded slap would actually only be given to someone who was your inferior or to someone who was a slave. So not only would this be physically painful, but it's a deep insult. And Jesus says to his disciples, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate if someone treats you in this way. But not only that, turn to them the other cheek also. Literally, leave yourself open for it to happen again. We feel this, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.20, For you bear if, it, if you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. The principle is this. We must rid ourselves of the desire for revenge, for, for any injury, or any wrong that is done to us, no matter how degrading it is. We should not be concerned with personal injury or insults. Jesus uses the example of a humiliating slap in the face, but, but such insults can come in many different forms. It can be in the form of a harsh and accusatory word. It may be someone who is deliberately trying to tear you down, and he says, do not retaliate when that happens. Ultimately, he wants us not to be concerned with ourselves. And really what he's saying here to us is, do as you have seen me do. Let's just read prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike, 
and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. One of the most famous verses we read on Easter. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Matthew, describing the fulfillment of these prophecies from the Old Testament, what Jesus endured before the religious council, before Pilate, before the people, he describes Matthew 26, 67, then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him. So Jesus is literally saying, do as you've seen me do. He's saying our concern must not be for self. Must not be, be wrapped up in self, because being wrapped up in self will lead to you wanting to and desiring retaliation. But we are called to endure even the gravest of insults. Now, I want to be clear, but as I say that, Jesus is not saying that abuse is okay. So if you are in an abusive relationship, whether you're a male or a female or a child, Jesus is not teaching that you are to bear with it. He's not saying, you know, just turn the other cheek and remain in that situation. That is not what he's talking about. That is evil and that is wrong. Jesus is saying if, if someone who is operating in the spirit of the world insults you and injures you and meaningfully attacks you, you are to remember you are of God's kingdom and justice is the Lord's and he will repay. You do not go after it yourself by retaliating. Remember, there is a difference between justice which should be pursued, and retaliation, which should not. The former is godly, and the latter is worldly, and we do not pursue it. Illustration number two, Matthew 5, verse 40. Jesus then says, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And Jesus is really, really confronting us here, especially in our culture where we have this mindset that focuses heavily on our rights, on my rights. You see, we miss the deep meaning of this second illustration because we were removed from Jewish culture. But, but the illustration is not simply saying, if someone comes up to you and, and sues you for a piece of your clothing, we'll just offer them something else. Jesus is, is not simply saying that, that we are to live with a, a heart posture where we gladly part with our possessions because everything comes from the Lord anyways. It's not ultimately ours. We're not to hold our possessions tightly. Right? There's an element of truth to that, but that's not the heart of Jesus' message here. You see, Jesus uses a tunic and a cloak in this illustration for a very good reason. You see, a tunic is worn as an inner garment. It would be similar to you know, a pants a pair of pants and shirt that we wear. It's a garment that's worn against the skin. And in Jewish culture, an individual could be sued for their tunic. And so Jesus starts, in effect, by teaching, you know, if someone sues you for something that belongs to you, don't seek vengeance, but gladly part with it. But they don't stop there. Give them your cloak as well. And the second part, but give them your cloak as well, really strikes at the heart of the message. You see, while an individual could sue another person for their tunic under Jewish law, the outer cloak was considered an inalienable possession. An inalienable possession is, is something that cannot be taken away from a person. 
Nobody has any right to take an inalienable possession away from you under Jewish law. It is much like an inalienable right under Canadian law. So then, do you see what Jesus is confronting in the lives of his disciples? It, it's difficult. He's confronting the tendency that we have to insist upon our legal rights and is telling us we need to be willing at times even to lay those down. His illustration is, if someone takes from you something that belongs to you, gladly part with it and then give up something that they have no right to take from you. Give up what they have no right under the law to ask you to give up. And he's confronting our tendency to focus on our rights and demand, I must have them. And he's telling us, be willing to give them up, even though you may suffer injustice as a result of it. Listen, I understand we all feel this pointedly right now. Right? In the season that we are in, in the season that we have been in, we feel this. As we're pressed upon by regulations, by rules, in a way that we've never been pressed upon in our lives. It confronts us deeply in this season. Now some of you may be sitting there and you, you may have steam coming out of your ears right now. And you may be thinking, okay, so what, are we just to roll over? Are we just to be doormats? Are we, are we allowed to push back on anything? And I think that Jesus would say, yes, and it depends on your motivation. It depends on your reason for doing it. Because he's all about the heart. It depends on whether you're concerned with your rights, or whether you're concerned with injustice. Because there's a difference in these attitudes. He wants us not to be concerned with ourselves. But he wants us as Christians to be concerned with justice. You see, one question which may arise for us this morning as we're going through these hard truths is, how do we reconcile these with, with you know, other areas in Scripture where we see Jesus and Paul himself give different responses? Right? Like Jesus is, is saying here, if someone slaps you on the cheek, we'll turn to them the other one else, or the other one as well. If someone takes something from you, will give them something that they could never give up. And yet, when Jesus is slapped by an officer when he was on trial, he protested it. How do we reconcile those? Right? John 18, 22 to 23, says, When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about it. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul protested how he was being treated when he was arrested, and he exercised his rights as a Roman citizen in Acts 16 and 21 to 23. So then how do we reconcile that, that we are to endure insult, that we are to give up our rights, even if it means injustice, yet Jesus and Paul both protested at times when this happened to them? And I think Jesus would say, again, it depends on your reason for protesting. See, the response from a follower of Christ is determined by whether we are responding out of our personal concern for our rights or out of a concern over the subversion of the law, out of concern over an undermining of what is good and what is right. See, Jesus is, is protesting the officer's slap not for his own sake, 
doesn't know, oh, why did you hit me? It's not that kind of attitude. He's protesting the officer's slap because it undermined the judicial process. That's why Jesus said, if I said something wrong, then bear witness about it because that's the proper way to go about it. Slapping him undermines the judicial process, and that's what Jesus was protesting there, not his personal rights. If we look at Paul, we see the same thing. Paul over and over proved that he was not concerned with his rights. He endured much persecution, but he exercised them as a Roman citizen when authorities subverted the law because Christians should be concerned with upholding the laws of the land in which they dwell. So we must be, as followers of Christ, very willing to confront ourselves and our motivations for why we stand up against a wrong that has been brought against us. It's very nuanced. You need to be willing to check your heart that our motivation is right, that it's not of the self-concern, of the selfishness, but it is out of a concern for justice. And sometimes it is hard to tell the difference. I think taking into the, the principles we see here from Jesus, selfish motivation may be more present than we like to admit in some of these moments when we're concerned about our rights. You know, we don't want to do something. We don't agree with something, and so we push back. And Jesus would confront us and say, no, no. You'd be willing to give up even the rights that belong to you, even that which shouldn't be taken from you. So then how do we know the difference? How do, we, how do we know whether you're concerned with you or whether it flows from a, a godly desire to uphold justice, a godly desire to uphold what is right? And I would say the way that your protesting looks is a key determination of the type of heart that it's flowing from, whether it's selfish or whether it's godly. So in a circumstance, if I am complaining, if I am constantly ranting, if I am ranting on social media, if I'm constantly obsessing over the situation, if I'm complaining to whoever will listen, and my actions are adding to polarization, and at the same time I'm subverting the rules and regulations, but not working to change them, well, your response is likely coming from a posture of what Jesus is teaching against here. However, if, if, if you endure while you're utilizing the processes available to you in a democratic society to protest and to work, trying to make a difference, whether it be attending peaceful protests, whether it be writing your MPP, whether it be writing your MP, whatever is available to you in a democratic society, if your response goes beyond just you because you're pressing in for more than just your rights, it's much bigger than that, you're concerned about the justice for everyone, then I would say that probably more likely lines up with what Jesus' teaching is acceptable here. Because you're not just worried about you. You're worried about injustice. How are we doing? You good? Let's keep going. Teaching number three, illustration three. He just keeps going at us in these illustrations. Verse 41 says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go within two miles. And once again, this is another illustration that we are not going to fully comprehend because we don't live under Roman occupation. But Jesus is referring to a Roman law here. 
And this Roman law is a law that allowed a Roman soldier to demand civilians carry their luggage for one mile. The soldier could not ask for more than a mile, but any citizen who was demanded to carry luggage by a Roman soldier could not refuse, or they would be punished under the law. No matter what they were doing, they had to drop everything and carry that soldier's luggage for a mile and then trudge all the way back. Now just imagine this. If you are in the middle of your workday, okay, you're a, say, a Jewish farmer who is selling your produce in the marketplace, just trying to get by, trying to provide for your family. A Roman soldier walks up to you and dumps all of his luggage in front of you, says, you carry it the next mile. Like, you know what your response would be. You take a hike. Right? Like, that's what we would want to do. You take a hike, carry it yourself. It's like, our immediate response would be, are you kidding me? Like, I'm here, I'm trying to provide for my family. Now I have to carry your stuff a mile. Hopefully, my stuff at the marketplace doesn't get stolen. I'm not making any money while I'm gone. Then I got to walk all the way back. And by the way, you can carry it yourself. You're a soldier, you're able. And I have to do it. And Jesus says, yes. And not only that, but he can't ask you to go two miles, but you do that anyways. Don't only go the one, go two, even though he could never ask you under the law to do that. And this, listen, this was a law that, that the Jews were, were living under. This wasn't a law that they had recourse for. They couldn't say no. They had to do it, even though it was unjust, even though it was foolish. And Jesus says, even though it's unjust, even though it's foolish, go beyond what's being demanded of you. There wasn't even a recourse for retaliation in this situation. The principle is, not only are we to do what is demanded of us from our authorities, but, but we are to go beyond it even for those that we despise. And no matter how inconvenient it is, and no matter how unjust we think the demand is. I think about it, the Jews hated the Romans. They would have hated Roman soldiers. I guarantee they never wanted to carry their luggage. They would have hated this law. They would have wanted more than anything to subvert it, and Jesus says, no. You do it, not with resentment, but willingly. Even though you may entirely disagree with it. Now, of course, the caveat in this, as with all things, is if carrying out the demand requires sin, you don't do it. But other than that, you do. I want to read from something that was written back in the 1900s from Martin Lloyd-Jones in his studies on the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it'll speak well to this situation. And I think as I read it, you're going to think, are you sure this wasn't written in the last year? So let's just read it together. 
This passage is concerned with a man's natural resentment at the demands of government upon him. It has reference to our dislike and hatred of legislation of which we do not approve. To acts of parliament, for example, which we do not like, in which we have, a, in which we have opposed. Yes, we tend to say, they are passed by parliament, but why should I obey? How can I get out of this? That is the attitude our Lord is condemning. Let us be perfectly practical. Take the question of the payment of taxes. We may dislike and resent them, but the principle involved is exactly the same as in being willing to go a second mile. Our Lord says that not only must we not resent these things, we must do them willingly. And we must even be prepared to go beyond what is demanded of us. Any resentment that we may feel against the legitimate authoritative government of our land is something which our Lord condemns. The government that is in power has a right to do these things, and it is our business to carry out the law. Even further, we must do so that we may entirely disagree with what is being done, and though we may regard it as unjust, if it has legal authority and sanction, it is for us to do. He goes on, he says, if we become excited about these matters or lose our temper about them, if we are always talking about them and they interfere with our loyalty to Christ, our devotion to him, if these things are monopolizing the center of our lives, we are living the Christian life, to put it mildly, at the very lowest level. As Christians, our state of mind and spiritual condition should be such that no power can insult us. That's good. Our mindset as Christians should be that no power can insult us because we belong to the ultimate power, Jesus Christ himself. There are thousands of Christian people who are in this position today in occupied countries, and we know not what may be coming to us. It may be that we shall be subjected ourselves someday to a tyrannous power which we naturally hate and which will compel us to do things we dislike. This is the way in which you are to behave in such circumstances, says Christ. You do not stand up for your rights. You do not show the bitterness of the natural man. You have another spirit. We must get into that spiritual state and condition in which we are invulnerable to these attacks which come upon us in different ways. There is one qualification which must be added. This injunction does not say that we are not entitled to a change of government, but this must always be done by lawful means. Let us change the law if we can, as long as we do it constitutionally and in a lawful manner. It does not say that we must take no interest in politics and in the reform of law. Certainly, if reform seems necessary, let us seek it to achieve it, but, not, but only within the framework of the law. If we believe that a particular law includes injustices, then in the name of justice, not for our personal feelings, nor for our own private gain, let us try to change the law. Let us be certain, however, that our interest in the change is never personal and selfish, but that it is always done in the interest of government and justice and truth and righteousness. Could that have been written in the last year? In what we're facing in our country? Illustration number four. We'll go quick on this one as we close. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
This last illustration is all about giving and lending. Jesus is saying we, we must do this with a generous spirit that does not always have ourselves in mind, but others in mind. You know, naturally, we are so readily concerned with ourselves. And we make sure that, that we get ours first, right? Make sure that we are set up. And that often happens to the detriment of other people and other needs. And Jesus wants us to know, no, no. In his kingdom, don't be so concerned about yourself. Readily give to others, even to the point where it may be uncomfortable for you. This is the kind of spirit that he's teaching us here. Be not concerned with ourselves, be concerned with others. And ultimately, this is the spirit in all four of these illustrations. As I said at the beginning, as I said last week, Jesus is confronting our heart's attitude. Right? Like these, these illustrations are hyperbole, right? meaning that they're, they're not necessarily the scenarios in which we're going to face in life, but they give us a really good idea of how Jesus expects us to respond in different scenarios in life. And so we don't look at these four and go, well, it doesn't fit in those four, so I don't have to do it. These are general ideas for how a Christian would live, for the spirit that drives us. And so we must allow these things, as we've reviewed them today, allow them to, to speak to our hearts, to inform our decisions, to inform how we live, and the way that we respond to injustice, the way that we respond when people come against us. They're not to have any spirit of retaliation. Pray. Heavenly Father, we looked into some difficult things this morning that you say in your word. And Lord, I do pray that you would give us ears to hear. Father, we know that naturally we, we don't like when things come against us. We want to retaliate. We want vengeance. But you have called us to something greater. You have called us to something better. And ultimately, it is rooted in trust in you. That you are king. That you are Lord. That you are sovereign. That, that no man can come against the plans of the Lord. That Lord, when we are, in, when we are secure in you, because of faith, you hold us fast in every situation. Father, I pray that you would give each person here the kind of spiritual perseverance that makes us not get offended in these kinds of situations, but allows us to respond properly. Father, we know that we are not perfect. We know that we will fail. The flesh rears up, and we thank you for grace. Continue to work in our hearts, Lord, making us more like Christ. We thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your grace in the midst of that. We give you praise this morning, the one who conquered, the one who is our example, our great King and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.